Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the Books Big Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. There on the street lies a gum spat out by every New Yorker and tourist along the sidewalk of every corner of every street and avenue. Dried like some spotted Dalmatian in patterns of polka dots. Sorry, sots. There in the air, just under your nose, drifts the smell of a million hot dogs. Dumpsters, cardboard, dead rat, delicious Thai food, arid coffee bistro, marinara red sauce, pasta, tacos. Ah, New York. Horn hockey, dragged out junkie, broken down jazzer, burnt out rocker, high flying trader, hustling model, trust fund board skater, unhappy waiter. All of us swirling in a pot of steam soup, steam soup. A bit of Ah New York. Our guest is a musician, a songwriter, a singer, and also a poet, as you will hear more of. Scotty Miller has a career that has him inducted no less than three times into the Minnesota Blues Hall of Fame. He has 11 albums in his discography, has toured with the likes of Bo Diddley, and currently tours with four-time Grammy nominee Ruthie Foster. His songs have been recorded by the likes of Foster and the Blind Boys of Alabama. His new work, Carnival Cocoon, is a collection of poetry in five parts, many of these pieces accompanied by music and a CD, and we have him today. Welcome, Scotty. Hey, Tori. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am doing fine. Uh, I'll tell you what, this has been a collection to read and listen through for a while and normally i have to do this anyway as part of my research and to get to know who i'm talking with but i'll tell you i and this is no joke i listened to this album on repeat while i was working around the house in different time as well and it's come together it just flows incredibly well and i realize this has been a lot of work but first carnival Mm -hmm. cocoon where does this title come from yeah well thank you for that taking the time with it um carnival cocoon uh, the title yeah of the project it, it comes from uh, a poem contained in the book and on the cd set to music uh titled on new york and it's the last line of that piece um uh, all are welcome in the carnival cocoon about the sights and sounds and smells and experiences i've had around new york city uh, my editor candle and wall out in vermont um, was helping me run through just, you know, editing <clears throat> these, these poems. And, uh, and, and, and she was the one that recommended, um, that I use the title book and it morphed into a carnival cocoon. So, and I thought it was just a perfect idea as it represents not only that, you know, on New York, uh, scene, but it really helps encapsulate the whole book and the content of, of the whole project, the music too, because it's here we are in this in this carnival cocoon, this uh, wild, wonderful, gigantic world with its you know joys and its troubles, and uh, you know, so I I, I just uh, I grabbed onto that and and away we went, you know. And we're all performers. We're all uh, yeah. we're all sort of like acts, as it as it were, in the in the big mm-hmm. show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've, 
and you know it just it fit as i'm kind of doing the sort of the ringmaster if you will of the of this project <laughs> self-produced self you know uh independent artist that i've been for so many years so um yeah so i really just ran with that and i i talk a lot about the rat race the busyness of this world and and so i kind of link those those concepts together there too Mm -hmm. um you know uh, the carnival cocoon we're all in this world together and it can be pretty chaotic you know now these are all pieces that came over, I, I would assume, quite a period of time. Uh, how did they all finally make their way into the book? There must have been like a cut process or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I originally uh, thought I would uh, create just a, you know, a smaller zine or chapbook or, you know, something rather than a full collection. Um, but it, as you know, I it, it ended up being a full five chapter collection of the poems. But I had I don't know six seven eight hundred different poems that I I compiled some within the last three four five years um, and a few that were maybe a little bit older than that um, and and some brand new current as I was putting it together that I was writing at the time um, and so I printed all of them off so that I could have a big pile to just go through yeah to formulate the book and i just sort of you know i i gave them each a a star rating one to five stars (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know yeah (laughs) me and my friend went through them all and just went through them a few times and started putting them in abc piles you know um and then i started to see sort of a pattern get created with the the five chapters they all ended up with um you know sense of place sense of time uh, you know, stories roaming and touring and, uh, you know, uh, romance, um, nature. And so um, I think I ended up with about 150 Esser mm-hmm. that, you know, felt inspiring. And and I sent that batch to Candle and Wall at, at Mud Season uh, Review. They were doing, a, a you know, an editing uh special um and uh, around uh, the holiday time they were doing a, a discount on on a full editing of a full manuscript of whatever you wanted to send in and i did that and she went through and um after her first edit then i sat and reorganized again and then i went back to her a little while later and helped me move forward and she agreed and and away we went mm-hmm. um so that started maybe a year or two before the pandemic hit, you know, and just just putting it together, going through it with her. And then as the pandemic hit, I found that I had the time to continue, you know, to to pursue the 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 book in a more formal way. You know, mm-hmm. is there any thing that made these stand out apart from your songwriting or did these begin do you think as songs or just poetry how do they how do they split for you um yeah it's a good question because i've always that was a part of this process for me is i've always been a little bit confused why to feel a little bit of a disconnect between the my poetry writing 
that I've done all my life and my songwriting as I've done all my life. Um, I, I think the two, uh, they, they automatically link, but I, I find a, a freedom in the, in the, in the poetry writing, um, that is it, just more free flowing and, um, uh, uninhibited by, by any kind of rhythmic structure necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoy that freedom. So I was always just trying to, I'm like, Hmm, I'd like to link that to my songwriting and to my music in a different way. I mean, why do I feel that there's a gap when you can sit down and, and write in a notebook or on pieces of paper or in my little notepad on my phone? Um, and have a certain uh, a certain style that way, and then when I sit down at the piano and write, uh, why does there why is there like a, a disconnect? Yeah, and and so that always kind of uh, intrigued me, I guess you know, um, and uh, and so I found that it what I did is I first it started with the poetry, and I took that pile I was telling you about of poems. And set it on the piano and just started, you know, whipping through them and improvising as I read them aloud. That's how it felt to me. The the the, the music felt yeah. very much like you were sort of. It was like poetry slam with music or something. Yeah, I mean, some ideas would work naturally, organically, and others just wouldn't. You know, they just didn't have a a good. I don't know. They just didn't. You know, I didn't think much about it or put too much. Uh, um, thought I just let the music flow underneath and then I started just doing throwing you know just recording at home yeah. and throwing the ones that didn't gel just on the floor you know <laughs> and uh, scratching out little notes after I was like ooh I like the way that that works together with the piano mm-hmm. and um, and so it morphed in a different way than I typically write you know songwrite. Right. And it was really liberating. That's why I, I say it's like been the most liberating project I've ever done. Of like all my CDs, it just it, it felt really good um, to break down habitual f- process of songwriting. You know. Yeah, and we may have talked about this a little bit a moment ago, but you set the poems up uh, into five parts, and they all work on really interesting themes. And I, I was, I was very intrigued by that. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one, "Walking on Eggs." Yeah, that's uh, you know, because I've heard the term "walking on eggshells," and around some people, you feel like you have to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so is that yeah. for life or, or, or for, for performance or for what do you think? Yeah. It, you know, I think uh, it's, it's more of a, uh, that title in particular for chapter one is, you know, it's just a little bit more about, um, uh, it's kind of a story, if you will, but it's also a, a, a work around nerves and anxiety mm-hmm. Um it intertwines through uh, a few different pieces of, of history in my life, like, uh, you know, uh, busy bus rides downtown and the slippery January snow, the old man who used to call me whippersnapper. I liked that guy. <laughs> um, that that verse or stanza is, is from when I was uh, 
a kid and I would uh, get out of junior high school and I would take the, the, the bus downtown for piano lessons. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a young kid in about, what, seventh, eighth grade, it was it was kind of a trip, <laughs> you know. And I would go downtown and I would have my lesson, Peter Murray, and work on jazz. And, um, that's where I first picked up on Spain and Chick Corea and Peter was great. And so then I get done with the lesson and I wait at the bus stop and there was always this old, old guy that would, how you doing whippersnapper? <laughs> <laughs> so, so some of it's just like fragmented, like memories that, that came, came up, you know, and, uh, you know, recalling those, those trips home, long trip home, so many stops, melodies of chicks sewing through my, soaring through my head. The music I was fed, the life I've led, the sunken warp to my bed. So uh, you can maybe detect the sunken warp to my bed is like actually referring like it brought me into the current time when I was writing this. Um, what, four, five years ago, maybe? Right. Um, where I'm, I'm in my bed, laying in my old bed, you know, writing this stuff and just kind of recalling. And coming into the into the the current time, mm-hmm. um, and reminiscing on a on a, 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 a really interesting life. So, um, you know, it also goes into uh, that one does it c- continues to sort of go back to childhood. Um, you know, the, the, the last stanza is tensing my belly, rocking my legs, lost out on Shelly, I'm still walking on eggs. Wow. So that goes back to when I was a kid and I used to like rock myself to sleep and I had this thing. We couldn't figure out why I kept tensing my belly, <laughs> you know? Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm getting pretty vulnerable and personal with you here about this. But, but you know, it gives you some context about how I... I probably had some kind of anxiety or whatever it was as a kid and I would rock myself to sleep and uh, lost out on Shelly is when I I took off for uh, a relationship ended heading out to Berkeley to go to music school and then uh, ending with I'm still walking on eggs is kind of like my life today. I still have that same kind of nervous energy, if you will, you know, I don't still rock and tense my belly, but. You know, um, I have a pretty nervous disposition or a high anxiety, high adrenaline disposition. Uh, I I, I share it. I I definitely share it. And I'm certainly no expert, but I think we all had something like that. It was it might have been a coping mechanism. It might have just been an exhibit of that. Uh, When Mm -hmm. I was a kid, I had this nervous tick for a little while where I used to blink my eyes a lot. Mm. And I mm-hmm. used to do it a lot, and it was almost obsessive-compulsive because I was like, I could see just fine, but I was trying to clear my eyes. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't know why I did it. And I did it for a little while, and then I, I stopped. And I don't know if it was just something – It was just I think it was just one of those ways that I dealt with that as a kid. So, it, I, yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking about, the tensing of your belly might be – that might be just a way of doing it. I um I'm certain there's people who know a bit more than than I do about that, about what that really means. Anyway, that leads us to our break, and I am going to get a little more into uh, some of these uh, early things. 
Scotty Miller is our guest on the Brown Posey Press Show. Carnival Cocoon, a poetry and music collection we're talking about, and we will hear and discuss more right after this. Stay with us. Explore Sunbury Press books and find the work of talented authors in many genres. Ours Metaphysica is our spiritual, new age, and metaphysical imprint. Check out Pettengill's Perfect Fortune Teller and Dream Book by Pelatia Pettengill. The Space Between by Judith Bowen and works by Kareem El Kusa, including The Phoenician Code. Find out more by clicking on the Books tab at sunburypress.com. Wake to many melodies. I wake to many melodies. Day and night have now become one. Soft wind with an icy nip. The house is worn by the spring sun. My lips have not had a sip. I wake to many melodies. The author and composer is Scotty Miller, and he is with us once again. Uh, we talked a little bit about your history. Uh, you grew up in Minneapolis, thereabouts. What was... Yes. You've given us a little bit of the upbringing of uh, going down the street to uh, have these lessons, this gentleman on the street. Tell us about what what it was like growing up in that story at that time. Sure, yeah. Uh, thanks, Tori. Um, yeah, I... You know... Um, I had a, you know, a, a pretty sweet upbringing, I have to say, you know, uh, I was involved in music and trumpet lessons, and I was also involved in sports, and then I was also a troublemaker, so I was like the burnout jock musician, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of had that, uh, you know, troublemaker kicking in at sixth grade. Um, you know, raising a lot of hell and, you know, so we, you know, I had that kind of diversity, but also had just a, a, a life of a lot of variety and, and really, um, positive musical surroundings. My, my mom was a piano player, um, and, you know, got me into just traditional piano studies at, at age six. Okay. And then, you know, yeah, as I was going into, say, junior high age, I started to go downtown to a place called McPhail in Minneapolis, a great music school, and and got with somebody who was um, not so much traditional and classical, uh, but versed in jazz, uh, Peter Murray. And, <clears throat> and so then, you know, kind of moving forward into high school years, I had my sights set on Berkeley. I went out there in the summer. Um, of my junior year of high school and had like a six week stay in the dorms and it was like a career exploration program where you, you, you take some classes and get a feel for it and that's when I knew I wanted to go back you know once I finished high school so those were kind of the, the early years for me um, and then I had an amazing time at Berkeley while I was there and got out ran out of money came back home joined you know started and joined a band um and that's all she wrote you know i've <laughs> i've been out there playing and touring and making music and recording and composing you know 
uh, ever since. There's so much to ask within that. Um, how about the music uh, when you were growing up? I mean, you're being exposed to music through your mom, through uh, Mr. Murray. You brought up Chick Corea and people like that. What kind of music were you hearing early on? What got you? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was actually, uh, you know, oh man, around the house, it was like, uh, there was Hel- Harry Belafonte mm-hmm. <laughs> records, kind of a random, random selection of stuff, you know, from Harry Belafonte to Neil Diamond to Elvis, uh, and and then I remember getting turned on to Boogie Woogie Piano um, somewhere from from some piano books that I was that I was into. That was when I was quite young still. Um, and then, you know, in high school, we were, I was it was all about rock mm-hmm. and rock and roll Zeppelin and Floyd and Hendrix. And and so I was actually playing a lot of electric guitar. Then I was taking piano lessons that was and is my principal instrument. But um, I really liked playing guitar. And so uh, when I wasn't doing my piano studies, I was transcribing solos um, from all the great rock band, you know, guitarists. So lead player on guitar than I am, uh, you know, a comping, you know, chordal <laughs> player. Right. So, so there was something about that that I, I latched on to. And so I was going to, yeah, I was going to concerts with friends at, you know, it was like ZZ Top and and uh, the Doors and Van Halen and, um, you know, uh, Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, you know, Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, I was really into the rock, the hard rock stuff, which was, which was uh, the the guitar rocker side of me. Yep. And then, you know, and then going home and studying, you know, um, Bill Evans and Chick Corea and and going down the jazz road. <laughs> and that's that's just such a that's such a rounded kind of uh, just the exposition of all that of or the exposure, I should say, of all yeah. these different things. And, you know, you're mentioning the music that my brothers grew me up on and mm-hmm. they were more lean toward the Beatles, toward Rolling Stones, toward Dylan and, and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But I of course heard pretty much everything that you just mentioned. And it was like, I still felt, and, and it, you mentioned Vermont, that's where I'm from. And uh, mm-hmm. growing up there, it was like, it felt kind of, I guess it felt a little bit closed off because I didn't listen to as much as other people did. And it wasn't until probably that I went to college and that I really started to listen to the music that I'd only heard a bit of because so many people were playing different things around me. And then all of a sudden it comes out. But um, I definitely want to ask you one thing. Is there a way that you can describe your, your style? Because uh, you have so many influences being given. Was there anything that said you want to be a certain type of player and then maybe you became yourself. Do you know how, how would you describe it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with, with all that I mentioned and then, you know, moving forward in time, those, those other influences start coming in of old soul and blues and mm-hmm. New Orleans blues. And so I am definitely a sponge, you know, um, 
So stylistically, I feel like a sponge because I've got the classical, the jazz, rock, uh, blues, you know, um, it, you know, every style affects me and, mm-hmm. and I, and I'm like a sponge to it. So, um, I think, you know, if you, if you go back in time, I, I, I probably, I wanted to be like a full fledged jazz pianist, mm-hmm. you know, I'd say, you know, like when I went to Berkeley, I was like, I want to be a jazz piano player and I want to do film scoring, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then as I left and, and started writing and recording more, you start to see your style, you know, formulate. And I was picking up on R and B and funk and soul and producing and writing and creating. And so that made me this guy that sort of plays in a lot of different, you know, uh, genres, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I, I think is, been a little bit to my as far as like marketing or you know if you were to get that elusive record deal or um to be produced i've often thought you know as a piano player man and mostly noted in the blues you know you should get your boogie woogie thing going and and go down that road you know Uh, because then we know where we can market you and you know i've had labels consider me and say man we really love this love that love that but then like what's that i don't know what to do with that <laughs> so well so, yeah yeah I've, so I've never stuck to one genre and you could say that's to my detriment but of course now um i feel it's a it's a bonus i'm super grateful that i didn't stick to one style i've I've had the um, same thing with with agents um we talked before we came on we talked about my books in the sweet dream series and i had people tell me this is interesting but we don't know how to place it and yeah. back of my mind i'm like i can tell you how to place it <laughs> <laughs> but trying to convince them right <laughs> right right i want to ask right. about berkeley because um, I spent about 10 years in Boston working in the radio market. No one ever knew who I was. I was always the middle of the night guy or the producer, which was fine. Actually, I preferred it. And my girlfriend for the first few years I was there went to Emerson. So I remember just the, the crossing of, you know, Emerson kids and people right up the street at Berkeley and all that. And then when I got involved in theater, I met people who, who went there or who, who even taught there and stuff like that. And I was just blown away by the talent of, of so many people. And man, how how did this happen because now i'm rubbing elbows and nowhere near the 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 rank of any of these people but i was just blown away by the talent and that must have been really something at berkeley to to be with all these different folks tell me about that yeah yeah i hear you um and definitely at berkeley you you're hit with that um right away um, I recall, uh, you know, the, the, the piano practice rooms at Berkeley. It's, it's a beautiful, 
beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's a hallway with soundproof room and an upright Yamaha upright in every room and, you know, chain smoking in this closed and closed <laughs> piano room, just shedding for hours, you know, and you know, same with every other instruments practice areas, but you'd go down those halls to get into your room um, and, and hear everybody just, just lightly down the hallway what's going on i recall the uh um asian students you know i remember uh some friends from japan that were just you know ridiculous uh level of playing um for their first year at berkeley and uh and then i remember hearing brazilian uh friends um doing uh, big band stuff and they were maybe two-year students. I'm like, whoa, you know. Um, so you felt a sense, you could feel a sense from from a lot of people of, a, of a, you know, they had an advanced gift at, at an early age. Um, so it was it was just a beautiful beehive of of that, you know, um, or student bands that would play across the street or or um, have gigs in town that that us students would go and hear and. Um, you know, you'd learn a lot, but, you know, I, I was also nurtured by, you know, I remember that, that Brazilian guy, I can't remember his name, of course, but it, it you know, at, he, he borrowed me like a four track recorder. He was really nurturing, um, other older, you know, further year students were, were having me sit in and jam and I learned so much, you know, it was humbling, but it was also, they were <laughs> nurturing, you know, they weren't cutting you down. They were um, you know, trying to bring you in. And so that was a, it was a great scene. It sounds like one. And now you mentioned you ran out of money, but there must've been a point where you're, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. This is it. Mm -hmm. And this just sounds like it was the, the encouragement you got for your music. You also noted that one of the teachers there gave you a lot of support for the, for the poetry as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. My uh, my English teacher Claudia Stanger um, was a huge support of uh, of my writing and encouraged me to write um, at least three pieces a day uh, or poems a day. Took me out to some readings. Took me over to you know Tufts and different little small bars and cafes. Picked me up and took me out to uh to hear some poetry readings and things like that and then my piano instructor craig najar um has been a huge mentor um all these years and and even more currently um you know just helping uh, cultivate my my focus and career and looks at my strengths and weaknesses and um and just helps me try to stay a little bit organized, you know, sort of my silent manager. Um, so those were huge, you know, huge things. Yeah, that that were, yeah, I, I for sure, by the time I got to Berkeley, I knew I wanted to, life, you know, live my life in music. I knew that a couple of years before I even got there. But after that, even being uh, sort of running out of money and, I got a partial Chick Korea scholarship that that he and his wife Gail had 
um, in place there in Berkeley. I actually got to go see him and Alan Holdsworth at the Channel. Oh, and, the Channel. And I, yeah, man, you know the place. And uh, I got to go backstage and thank him in person, you know, for the scholarship. Oh, and wow. He, he, Gail, his, his wife was there, and, and he said, Hey, Gail, you got to come meet this kid, you know, he... He got part of the scholarship money, you know. So I remember that. I, I was uh, flying on cloud nine, you know, shook his hand and shook her hand. And, you know, I remember I'm like, I'm not washing my hands the whole weekend. I want to go home and just play. And, you know, so those, those kind of things, yeah, they definitely cemented the deal for me and, and uh, even though I ran out of funds, I was very much um, inspired to continue uh, with 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 playing, writing. Um, and then I, you know, met different people that got me into situation where I was writing, co-writing, and and recording. Very um, cool. Moving into my more adult career, <laughs> jingles, TV commercials, albums, uh, you know, big. R&B funk bands that we had out on the road. Um, so we had a lot of fun in those times. Well, I'm going to ask you a little more about that fun in just a moment. Scotty Miller is our guest on the Brown Posey Press Show, yeah. Carnival Cocoon. His poetry and music collection will have more coming up after this. You stay with us. Sunbury Press Books brings you the history of Pennsylvania. Check out Lancaster's Golden Century, 1821-1921 by H.M.J. Klein, Donald Kent's The French Invasion of Western Pennsylvania, or the Keystone Tombstone series written by Joe Farrell and Joe Farley. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find works of history, fiction, and nonfiction from the Keystone State. heals and lives while the greedy sink their teeth into the flesh of the vulnerable, remorseless of the wounds. The pusher never gives, the taker sits beneath, ready to lunge, take any and all, regardless of his doom. Depending on which side you sit, it matters not if you can see. The blindness darkens both the lights of hope and hate yin and yang temperance or intolerance water or searing fire my ocean and your country mingle in the loss of civility leveling the imbalance squelched by desire the charred roots of a new tree collapse in front of whose eyes can see the only difference in you or me is a restless ancient melody Patiently waiting for us to open the door As we all yearn for something more Yin and Yang ah. Scotty Miller is our guest once again Carnival Cocoon, his latest poetry and music collection That's one of the pieces And we were talking about, at this point you are out on the road, you're in bands, you are doing your own music and stuff. One thing that I've always had was 
I was someone who wanted to be a songwriter. And I mean, I did write a little bit for a band I was in some years ago. And I started writing poetry and then thought some 35 years ago, this sounds more like a song than a poem. So that's how I picked up guitar in the first place. And Mm. the difficulty that I noticed over the years, there's a difficulty for the writer. And I mean, you can write your own songs, but how difficult is it really to get your stuff before someone else that's picking songs or maybe doesn't write as much? How hard is it to get the ear or the eye of someone that maybe you admire and think, God, this this guy could do my song? What What is that part of it like? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've had... Well, I've had probably, I've had different experiences around that. Um, you know, I've laid my music on various people that I've met in, I don't know, you know, for me, typically, Tori, it doesn't really gel into much. It's been, for, for me, it's been a little bit more like random. Um, you know, I remember, uh, opening for Ray Manzarek. Oh, man. And I I was so excited, you know. Like, it's freaking Ray Manzarek. Right. And so I brought, like, every CD I had in a big envelope and a letter, and <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, and, and gave it to him and whatnot. And um, now I have no idea what happened to it. You know, he may have thrown it away. He may have listened to it. He may have listened and then thrown it away. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, the gift was there. It was a beautiful night. Uh, same, I've shared music with Dr. John, um, and albums, and we've had just amazing discussions, um, with the people like, uh, Ruthie Foster, who I've done some co-writing, I've found some traction where, um, we can co-write or we can send ideas back and forth and it's been fruitful. And, you know, uh, but it really, you know, I think it just, it, it, it comes down. I've done co-writing with other people too. If something gels, it gels. If it's strong, great. You move forward. If, if not, you just, it's like, Hey, that was a great experience. Uh, You know, a growth experience. Um, the, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, the blind boys of Alabama, the opportunity came up. Uh, to Ruthie, who then conveyed it to me. Hey, the Blind Boys are looking for you know new material uh, for their you know songs for the new album. This look this would be a great you know opportunity for for you and I to to work on something together. Mm-hmm. And so I was super ex- you know inspired and excited about that. And while we were out on the one of the legendary rhythm and blues cruises at the time that she brought it up, you know I couldn't wait to get home and and work on something. Right. And so that's where the, the song I was called was born. You know, it's like the day after I got off the cruise, I was so excited to try to come up with something and, and share it back with Ruthie. And then we just went back and forth on it. And, and, uh, you know, a, a, I feel a, a strong piece came out of it, mm-hmm. um, that they ended up liking and deciding to record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd say my, uh, you know, again, it's kind of random here and there. 
and you never know. Right. And a lot of lot of uh, co-writing with Ruthie's new album, Healing Time. You know. Yeah. Um, I came up with Healing Time, and co-wrote with uh, Izzy Cruz and Ruthie and Haddon Sayers. In the end, all ended up contributing to that song, which is the title track of her new album. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ruthie so, is something something else. I mean, it's. Uh, I have to yeah. confess, I did not know who she was until I uh, got a hold of the album with Singing the Blues and all these other really cool pieces oh, yeah. on it. And it, well, you know, it has become, and Ruthie was very kind to let me use lyrics in the first two books of the series from Singing the Blues That's because right. that became, well, I needed a song. And I needed something for our for the for the heroine Aki to just sort of fool around with. I think she initially was just humming to something that was she was listening to, and I thought she needs something. And all of a sudden, I juxtaposed that song to her, and it was like mm. this is the kind oh, cool. of thing she would have fallen for. She would have been emotionally attached to and said, "This is my life right now." Yeah, and yeah. That was such a great song. And, uh, no, I got to interview Ruthie some time back for that record, and uh, she was fantastic to speak with. And oh, beautiful. What is, yeah. When did you come across her, and, and how did you two click? What do you think happened there? I met Ruthie um, in 2006. Uh, I was in, invited in, uh, to, back, to be part of a band that was uh, backing Bo Diddley, um, for his uh, Bo Diddley and Friends U.S. tour in 2006. Okay. So it was uh, the lineup ended up being Bo Diddley, um, and then Alvin Youngblood Hart, and Ruthie Foster. Mm. And so it was a Columbia Artists tour that that where they they have like three artists, you know, each night, you know, uh, you know, filling out the show, right? So yeah. Ruthie was the opening act. She was solo. And I had never, um, I didn't know of Ruthie until then. I'm like, who is that? You know, once I heard her voice, I was just like, oh, I'm so excited about this tour. You know, (laughs) I'm already excited because of Bo and Alvin. And, and now it's like Ruthie. And I recall when she opened every night, I mean, half the time she just set the guitar down and go, you know, as she would say, I'm going to sing acapella, you know, (laughs) and, um, just blow people's minds, including mine, you know, just singing a cappella. And um, so we became good friends, of course, on this tour, along with a lot of others on a part of that tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a two month U.S. tour. And she was like, I never play up your way in Minneapolis. Not too often. You know, Where would you recommend I go? And I'm like, oh, you should check out the Dakota Jazz Club. You know, mm-hmm. it's a great venue here in Minneapolis. And and so I think it was about a year after the, the Bo Diddley tour, sometime in early 07 or something, uh, um, she came and played the Dakota and invited me to, to play. And so, of course, I was super excited by the invitation and, and, and you know, learned every song from every album that I could find, you know. And uh, then in 2008 was our first, you know, formal tour um started out at the Safeway Blues Fest out in Portland, Oregon, flew over to Nice, France for a jazz festival and flew back to Portland, Maine 
for the North Atlantic Blues Fest. And that was my first tour with Ruthie. <laughs> and uh, That's cool. And Yeah, and I've been with her ever since. Well, here's a question I often ask, and I've had people say this, and the first time I ever heard it was Buddy Guy that said it. And I've asked other musicians about this, and they've all generally said much the same thing. Uh, the music audiences in other parts of the world, like in Europe, when it comes to music like jazz or blues, and they sometimes feel like they're so much more at home over there because the people just are so invested in the music, they know it and they love it. Are European audiences or audiences in other parts of the world more receptive to, say, the blues or jazz or something than maybe we appreciate it here in the States? Yeah, I think... You know, I think they've always had a a, a a great home, you know, blues and jazz styles um, have always had a really, you know, uh, nurturing environment in in Europe. Whenever I've gone over there, I've I've certainly felt that years that I toured with uh, blues icon singer from here, Big John Dickerson, mm-hmm. we did a lot of Europe. Um, we played Paris a lot. We, we were all over the place over there, um, from you know Germany to France to Hungary, and um, and I did sense just like a you know super enthralled audiences. I still do when we go over there. Um, that's not to say or detract from from the states here um, and the energy that you can get. Right. Um, I think when you know perhaps uh, U.S. based artists are in Europe, there's there's definitely a little bit more allure. Um, uh, you know, one thing I always remember about like European audiences, you know, they really get into clapping after every salt that here too. Don't get me wrong, but it always stuck out to me. Um, how in tune those audiences can be over there. That is cool. Well, you did bring him up, uh, Bo Diddley. What was it like being around one of the, one of the rock architects, I suppose? Yeah. Oh, he was great. He's just a sweetheart. Um, really great sense of humor. Love to tell a joke or a story. Um, and you know, I, you know, I remember, He's really a great sense of on on stage, and uh, you know, typically the venue, these mostly big theaters, would have a spotlight on them, you know, and and Bo would always be like, "Hey, light man, why don't you take that spot off me? Go get a cheeseburger, <laughs> <You know? laughs> take a break, go out, get yourself a cheeseburger, you know, and Full House and." And he's, he's just like, he didn't like the spotlight. It's too bright. Mm-hmm. And um, just to give you a sense, you know, sense of his humor. and um, But he uh, was super supportive and humble. And uh, stories about um, his, uh, you know, his beat, the Bo Diddley beat being used here and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, often in not paying homage or royalty to him for yeah. his massive contribution to 
the rock and roll history. So, um, you know, we, we, we discussed things like that. Um, I was reading Dr. John's book at the time we were on that tour. Uh, was it night tripper? It's like a, like a biography. Right. Um, there I can't was remember that. I don't know the title, but I think I know the book you're talking about. It's like you can yeah, see it. <laughs> the name's escaping me. The title, but it it went through a, a bit where Dr. John and other uh, musicians were back in Bow in the in the South, and you know ran into um, you know just trouble in the um, segregated South, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, the unfortunate stuff that they had to deal with. And, yeah. um, you couldn't have a mixed, uh, you know, couldn't have, you know, African-American and then white guys playing in the same band, wherever they were or something. And the sheriff pulled by plug, you know, and it's just ridiculous stuff. But, uh, Bo ended up, he got out and finished the set solo. And, um, you know, being a professional that he was, as as it as it said, mm-hmm. you know, and I I ran back in the bus. And I said, oh man, Bo, you remember this? I'm just reading about you. He's like, oh damn, I remember that. You know, so <laughs> he went right there. You know, um, that's cool. Yeah. Well, but anyway, you know, he was a sweetheart. I, God bless him. Um, I learned a lot from him, that's and I learned a lot about how to just be treat people kind and be professional Mm -hmm. and there's one other name when we think of minneapolis i'm going to ask you about him so many people think of prince did you ever come across him yeah yeah well with good reason we think of prince you know man yeah um and i did i i met him a few different times and had visited Paisley Park over the years uh, with his main engineer, Tom Garneau, having us in as guests to look around. And then just right before uh, Prince passed, I was doing a Ray Charles tribute with my friend Mick Sterling. Mm-hmm. And it was a big band and sold out a place just a few, not even a mile from Paisley Park at a place called the Chanhassen Dinner Theater. Mm-hmm. And we're getting into it, doing this really fun Ray Charles tribute show, and um, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm taking a solo, and uh, on Let the Good Times Roll, and all of a sudden I hear Mick kind of yell out, you know, a cue. I thought he said, "Take another solo, Scotty." I'm like, "Okay," so I start ripping into like you know my second time around in a, in a piano solo, but this guitar comes in and cuts me off and, and like guitar solo. I'm like, Oh, okay. No big deal. Right. It's Mm -hmm. audible. You know, maybe our guy, Steve Morgan didn't hear, you know, whatever. I missed the cue. Go for it. So I'm like, dang, that's a nice solo, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And because it's a big stage and I'm way downstage in in front. Mm -hmm. So I had to turn around and look and it's like, prince is playing <laughs> so, yeah. so he got he got in there and snuck in and got on stage got our guitarist steve morgan's guitar off of them <laughs> and um and jumped in and and jammed with the band for the rest of that tune and everybody lost their mind that's amazing and 
it was evidently the last public performance that he gave before his untimely, unfortunate passing mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with a band. Wow. Yeah, and so we were we were truly blown away. But I also met Prince, you know, when I was younger, um, just because he was always out at clubs checking other bands out around here, everywhere in the world. But especially in Minneapolis, he could be anywhere. Um, and so <clears throat> I remember asking if I could introduce myself to him, and he was very kind and humble. And, well, yeah, good to so hear. he's a... He's a big part of the vibe here, as he should be. <laughs> That's cool. Well, let's talk a little bit now from what we know about Prince as an example, just the body of work and so much that we still don't know about or maybe hasn't been released yet. And you yourself, you have several solo albums. You're all self-produced. Was it a conscious decision to keep control of your music and just, I want to do it this way kind of thing? Or does it harken back to what you said about labels earlier that uh, we don't quite understand that, but we like this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. A little bit of, uh, I've, I've always been, um, you know, kind of plowing my own road with, with, uh, self-production and, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, just producing and using some of our great studios here locally in the twin cities. Um, and uh, only on a couple of occasions where I tried to take the time, you know what I mean, in in the in the in the process to solicit the songs and the album to a few different labels and a couple different producers, and um, as one time I, I you know, almost got a. Uh, a bigger producer on it and it's just the the timing and scheduling of it didn't work out i'm like i'm just gonna do it you know so i still would love to work with um a producer you know i've had the chance to do that with with ruthie um on this last album where we worked with multiple producers um and it was a great experience you know uh, in the, you know, and, and, and I, I, I think it could be a, a, an interesting thing to really open your mind to someone else's perspective on how you might present that project. Mm-hmm. And as you know, and hear many stories, sometimes not to your liking, mm-hmm. other times, mm, you know, amazing, um, so you can only hope that whoever it is that you do work with, if I ever do someday, that we share a vision that that you know helps me um, you know portray the best that I can put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but thus far, it's been a completely independent road for me on every album I've done. You know, um, my bass player Dick Shapto has helped co-produce a couple of albums. Uh, but you know he's a part of the band too, <laughs> right. you know. So, um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but he also helped me sort of build out to try to be, you know, exceed my my level. That's the that's the thing I'd be after with the producer is to try to push push you more than you can push yourself when you're in your own world, you know. Right. Um, but as a self produced artist. 
Um, there's also advantages to that, and I'm aware of that. So when I go in, I try to push really hard. That's cool. Well, um, what is what is next for you now? Oh man. Well, <clears throat> I'm. Uh, it's currently just I'm. I'm. You know, continuing to. Uh, we just started a new, as you know, a publicity campaign for the book and the CD for Carnival Cocoon. So that's sort of just humming along thanks to, to guys like you and, you know, helping get the word out. And Frank Rozak um, is my publicist in California. That's, that's helping get the book and the CD out in, in uh, radio land and, and review land. Um, so other than that, uh, writing, composing, um, continuing to tour with Ruthie, we're headed out this weekend to play in British Columbia and Washington, a couple of festivals. Um, and so the touring has been really good this year and, and support of, of her new album, Healing Time. Um, and we're having a great time out there, you know, obviously too, since, since the pandemic has, has eased off. Um, you know, we're, we're very busy and I'm staying really busy around the Twin Cities playing gigs with with my scotty miller band and solo gigs and some duo uh gigs with my violinist arranger sierra hill and so i've been towards my next record um and so i've been doing a little bit of writing and recording around home um listening um to a lot of nina simone (laughs) <laughs> all right very <laughs> that's cool. what i've been doing well where's yeah. the uh, place to get uh carnival cocoon both the book and the album where's where's the best place to go uh you know you my website scotty com. scotty with an ie s-c-o-t-t-i-e miller <laughs> and um so all my my cds the book and the cd are available there in physical form but it's also in uh every digital streaming service um under scotty miller and scotty miller band all my albums and the new carnival cocoon so everywhere you you like to get your music and then you know globally the book is available um again wherever you like to get books in paperback and ebook uh amazon barnes and noble um you know it's uh available globally through uh uh ingram content group and so that's been a nice thing because you can you can order it no matter where you're from and and it'll get to you all right well scotty this has been fascinating and i've had a great time talking with you oh i hope so tori i appreciate you so much well I know. I appreciate you for coming on. This has been a blast. Our guest has been Scotty Miller, Carnival Cocoon, the poetry and CD collection available. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show. Scotty, thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tori. Take care. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, and Shake Hands with the Devil, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network.